All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Wealthy Life Podcast. We're excited to help you live, build, and sustain a wealthy life. Uh, we're here again today about to talk about the war and how it has affected the economy in the past and how it's kind of affecting things as of right now. Um, with my partners, of course, my co-host, Dwayne and Aiden, uh, join us every week as well. I'm going to give them a chance to introduce themselves, and then we'll head on the break. Hey, hey, glad to be here with everyone on today. I'm Dwayne, the Wealth Connector. So excited to help you build, live, and sustain wealth in any way that I can. Of course, you see all of our links in the description for the video. Connect with us. We're glad to help you in your journey. Yep, yep. Glad to be here for uh, another episode, another week. Have a real fun topic to talk about. It's not a political podcast, but, you know, the war can affect the economy. And we just want to give people the heads up, help inform people, and show people how to navigate through these tough times in a, in a stock market and economy level. 100%, 100%. So about to go to break now. I'm going to come back with uh, me starting talking about the consumer economy and how it has been affected in the past with wars and how it's been affected today. Be back soon. Do you want to live wealthy and pass wealth on to your generations? If so, then you're probably aware that 95% of people 65 years of age are not financially independent. This is a depressing number when 100% of 25-year-olds say yes to our question of wanting to live wealthy. This is the reason Dwayne Youngblood launched Be Wealthy 2 and why you should connect with them today. Be Wealthy 2 believes living wealthy is the right of every human, but not the guarantee. They believe to live wealthy, you must eliminate all bad debt, establish good credit, begin an investment plan where you invest in either stocks, bonds, crypto, real estate, art, or some other asset that will put income in your pocket, all while living an authentic life. Once you connect with Be Wealthy 2 and Dwayne's team, you will be on your way to building, living, and sustaining a wealthy life. All righty. So coming back from break, today's topic, we're talking about the war going on and how it's affecting the overall economy, how it's affecting the stock market, how it's affecting crypto. Again, this is not a political podcast. This is a financial podcast. We just want to help educate and help show people how to navigate through these tough times. Um, we're going to start off with Malcolm, who's going to talk about the broad general economy of how wars usually affect the general economy and how this war is affecting the general economy. So go ahead, Malcolm, what you got for us? Yeah, yeah. So I did a little research. I was looking at some stuff and um, I found out that usually in the past, um, the funding of the war is what usually affects all of the parts of the economy. So they usually fund it through increasing the taxes. Um, that's one way or decreasing the spending in other areas of the economy or just going into debt like uh, America usually does when trying to go into war. Um, a couple of the ways that I, I looked up and saw that they usually increase the taxes starting with the interest rates on homes. So the Federal Reserve will usually increase the interest rates to try to get more money flowing into the economy. Um, the way they usually would decrease the spending, they will usually cut things like uh, welfare, healthcare, and um, education benefits. And in doing that, they're not paying out that much money in those areas. So they have more money to spend on the war or the things that are going on uh, around the world. And um, the last way that I was looking up, they 
that the country would spend money. They would uh, just go into debt and, you know, use credit. And I know America right now is trillions of dollars in debt right now, but they would just use that, that to pay for military spending uh, and all those type of things to um, actually push the war forward. So we're prepared when we go into war with other countries. Uh, I also looked up a lot of stuff though, that I was seeing online and um, a lot of crazy statistics that have been happening that haven't happened before. So um, one of them that I saw just this last Thursday, the, the inflation annual rate increased to 7.9%. And within the last 12 months, and this is the fastest that this has happened since 1982. So over 40 years, um, this type of situation has never came up before. And now we're here again. So this is a very interesting time that we're living in. And um, it's a time that we haven't ever seen before, along with COVID as well. So it's, it's just very interesting seeing uh, how the world is affected with this war that we're currently in. And another little thing I saw that actually last month in February, grocery prices as well, they rose to 1.4% over the last 12 months. So I don't know if you guys saw, have y'all seen any, any increase in like grocery prices out? Absolutely. Everywhere you go, whatever you try to buy, it's just through the roof at the grocery store. So it's it's definitely, definitely uh, going up. Or you might not even find it. <laughs> it might not even I be I was about there. to say that too, actually. Um, they said that, that the, the prices have been increasing and stuff like that, but I've actually couldn't even find like chicken breasts or like small stuff when you go into the store. So you can just tell that the, the beginning of this little war that we're in right now is actually literally affecting us in real time. So it's been a, a crazy, crazy time to be living in. And um, it's, the, the U.S. actually did recover from COVID quite well. But still, as we've seen now, the, the prices of um, energy and food and all that type of stuff is going up, along with even the housing rates. So I was living in Atlanta last year, and they were increasing my rent by like $400. I don't know if y'all seen any of that type of stuff as well. I know Katie, you did just buy a house, but have y'all seen any of that type of like, um, maybe looking at houses or hearing from family members that the rent has been increasing? Yeah, the, the real estate sector is clearly, um, I mean, if you're a seller, it is clearly a seller's market right now. So prices are going through the roof. We could be developing a bubble because typically uh, when you see wars that uh, drag on for a little bit, unfortunately, real estate also suffers during that time, as you described earlier, as they begin to move money around. So absolutely, we've seen over the last year, the prices of real estate are going through the roof and if you're a seller, it's clearly a seller's market. But whenever that comes due or interest rates go up, it's going to catch a lot of people whose credit may not be as good. Yeah, I, I like that you brought that up, Dwayne, because <clears throat> I had a friend ask me, like, they want to buy a home and they're just like, should I wait till the home prices drop? And I was like, you could. But interest, just like Malcolm said, the the mortgage rates might be a lot higher in a year from now. So people who are looking to buy a home, you're almost kind of uh, stuck in a crossroads. Like do I wait for the real estate market to cool down a little bit and just pay overpay for a home, but get it at a low interest rate. Or if I wait it out, is it possible that the government is going to really start hiking up those interest rates again? And you can't, you can't even get a 3% anymore. I got lucky. Like I kind of got it at the end. Now the lowest you could probably get is like maybe a 3.5 if your credit is good. Who's who's not to say a year from now, the lowest interest rate you could possibly get is 5%, especially if this war is still going on. We don't know how long it's going to last for. So um, 
yeah, it's it's kind of tough, like for the real estate market is like, which way do you go? Right. And um, I honestly like I explained this to my friend, like. Personally, me, I prefer getting the lower interest rate and paying a little bit more for a home, but I could definitely understand someone who maybe their credit isn't the best or maybe they don't have enough for a down payment. So they want to wait to the overall prices of the home drop but then they might pay a lot more in the long run because of the increased rates. Yeah. That was the next thing I was going to say too, about um, people trying to guess the crash. Cause a lot of people think that there's going to be a crash happening in, in the real estate market in general. Um, but yeah, those same points you just mentioned is either you're going to give and take them somewhere, either your rate or your monthly payment that you're paying every single month. Um, but it's just, it's just been a very interesting, interesting time that, that we're actually in. Everything's kind of increased. I know uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about the gas uh, too as well, but you know, that involves because we get our gas from where we're kind of going to war with right now. Um, but the gas prices have been crazy. Everybody's been seeing that. Um, but same thing, it's hard to guess when everything is going to come back around because nobody can time a war or nobody can time when we're in these type of times uh, when it's actually going to end. So I think you kind of did the best thing though, just still buy now because either way things are going to circle back and go up and down when the time comes. So um, I did want to talk one more time about um, the labor department actually last Thursday. It's the biggest time that we ever seen inflation rates. So we talk about this a lot on the, on the podcast to not always keep all your assets in a savings account. Um, that's why this is very important at this time because the inflation rate is the highest it's ever been. So you're losing money every single year to inflation. So it is just super important to make sure you have some type of investment account set up. So your money is growing. You're not kind of working against yourself going backwards. Um, but yeah, that was the, the main couple points that I wanted to talk about today. Um, I'm glad you guys definitely chimed in and, and noticed the same things that I've been noticing with the rent going up, with consumer goods going up. And it's just been a, a very interesting time that we are in. And it's hard to tell what direction we're going to be going in. Um, well, I guess we're going to go to break real quick and then uh, have Dwayne come in because the consumer goods definitely have been affected. But the stock market is something that has definitely, definitely been affected. Well, a lot of people chart and they kind of can predict stock, uh, predict stock prices by, you know, doing their charts. But now everything is kind of up and down. It's hard for anybody to predict how any direction is going in the stock market. Yeah. yeah. Before, you go, before we go to break, I actually want to touch upon one more thing you said. So you kind of said how inflation increased to what? seven? You said 7.9 year yeah. over year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's... Definitely. That's kind of before the war even started, right? Like we just got into the war. Um, I, I don't know how long it's been, may, a, a few weeks now, maybe a month now, not sure how long it's been, but that seven increase inflation was before the war even started. So now that we're in the war now, it's gonna increase even more, right? Like that 7% was pretty, pretty much us like recovering from COVID, you know, with the stimulus checks, them pumping money into the economy. We're, and then we got into war. So now the government is trying to figure out where they're gonna get this extra money from, right? And, you know, we're probably gonna start paying high taxes. Our grocery costs are gonna keep going up. They're gonna try and get their funding from different places. And we're gonna see inflation hit even higher um, the next few months. That's the scary part. Yeah, because just like you said, yeah, COVID caused a lot of the stuff I kind of talked about, but we're now in a fresh war, so now, who knows what levels this stuff is going to go to now over the next, you know, six to 12 months. It's like a perfect storm. 
like it, the, just the way that things just lined up. It's like a storm that was like just brewing. Like COVID hurt us, right? Um, hurt our economy. Right, right. As soon as we like kind of recover from it, we go right into a war, and it's mm-hmm. it's just like it's like a setup for a disaster, man. Yeah, and one of the things too, because we're recording this uh, a little bit earlier than it will be airing. Uh, some of the things that we're describing, some of the statistics that Malcolm is giving, and some of the things that I'll be sharing as well, they're very relative to what has just happened as we're recording this in the middle of March. And so one of the things that, um, as uh, Aiden, you were just saying, we're going to see the unfolding of a bigger impact because, again, the war is Russia and Ukraine, but anytime a war is happening of this nature and you've got major governments uh, handing down sanctions, our government, we personally get 7.3% or 7.5% of our oil from Russia. We made a decision to get none of it anymore from Russia. So the, the effort to put sanctions on Russia is going to impact the American consumer because over in that region, we're getting wheat and we're getting oil and there is gas. And so it's going to affect food prices and it's going to affect at the gas pump, which if you're driving, I'm sure you see those things as uh, Malcolm was talking about. So this this thing is going to get a little bit worse by the time this airs. Uh, we will be in a worse position with some of these things than we were on the day we recorded this. And so uh, I, I'm just saying in general, I think it's important to realize that uh, it's a huge impact on the economy and on the pockets of people around the world. Yeah. Yeah. And Dwayne, um, something I'll, I'll, I'll add to that, too. I was reading an article, not sure how true it is, but um, um, China saw that we put these sanctions on in Europe. Right. It kind of alarms them a little bit. Like, are we going to put a sanction in China? Like, right. Um, I think we're trying, we're starting to see like other countries like lose faith in their American dollar and kind of like the American government. And it's going to be interesting, like how that plays out, like with the powers of, you know. Well, see, the what the what the U.S. government is banking on and right now what's really working is that the alliance, the NATO alliance and, the, you know, our Western partners are absolutely uh, standing toe to toe together. Uh, they've done every sanction with us except the oil one because they depend Europe depends too heavily on Russian oil and they weren't able to find a way to get around it. But they're heavily standing with us with sanctions. Uh, The UK just put down major sanctions on Russia and some of their oligarchs uh, this past week. Uh, You've seen the, the European Union, you've seen NATO standing up strong against Russia and its efforts to go in. I do believe we're going to see some movement. Uh, at some point, uh, uh, Putin is going to have to back down. They can't win. This is a no-win situation for him because there's so many heavy sanctions that's been on his country. But you can't sanction Russia and all their products and all the kind of stuff that we're sanctioning and it not affect everybody's pocket. But the thing is, The idea right now is in order to correct this dictator and what he 
is doing, we're willing for everybody to have to uh, take a little punch in their pockets in order to correct something that's tr uh, greatly wrong in the world. Now, right now in the United States, people are with it, but um, I don't know how long they'll be with it if gas prices keep going, if they get to $4.50 a gallon and $5 a gallon, I don't know how long people can continue to pay that. I was recently looking at airfare and the cost to take an airplane is definitely going up as the cost of fuel is going through the roof. So right now people are with sanctioning Ukraine, but how long that's going to be the issue because again, once it starts hitting your pocket, you kind of feel a little bit different about the way everything is going down. Yeah, that definitely a good point there, um, Dwayne. Like, it, we're really gonna start feeling in our pockets, you know, in a, a, a few. It could be weeks. It could be months. You know, we got um, people in California already paying up to five fifty, six dollars for gas. Even by me, it's already like four fifty. You know, and. Um, I saw a tweet that uh, of someone who lives who lives not too far from me. They were saying that they literally saw the gas station that morning was four fifty, and they drove by again that night, and it was like four eighty. <laughs> like it, it's yeah. almost kind of like how that hyperinflation was in Zimbabwe when things were literally going up by the hour. Like it, it, it kind of reminded me of that, which is a little scary. Yeah, yeah, it is, and. Uh... You know, as Malcolm was sharing his part of this, it's just critical. Now, I'm talking about the stock part of this, um, and uh, it's it's a lot. It's a whole lot to uh, consider as we uh, have the subject of looking at wars as a whole and how wars impact the stock market. I wanted to share a couple of things that I think are very, very good to look at. And I want to just look at three specifics, uh, wars and what happened with the S&P 500. Then I'm going to show a chart. But the largest uh, drawdown on the market happened when Germany, Nazi Germany, invaded Czechoslovakia. Uh, and this was in 1939 as we were coming into World War II. And um, the attack also on France, same attack on France by Germany in 1940. So on those two attacks, the first one, the S&P 500 came down 20.5% when this attack happened in on Czechoslovakia going into World War II. And then with the attack on France, it went down 25.8%. So one of the things we can see, and, and this was in 22 days. So one of the things that you can clearly see happened um, with the onset of war is that it had a major negative impact on the S&P 500. Now, I will say this back in 1939 and 40, we were not as electronic as we are today. This was all by a phone. You had to make your uh, changes and things of that nature, whereas now it's uh, very electronic. But the good part is that a year after these two things happened, the S&P 500 uh, and the market itself was up 19% and 9.2% respectively. And so it eliminated much of the drop uh, within one year. And so that's something that's very, very good to note. Also during Pearl Harbor, 
the S&P 500 dropped 11% in a single day after the attack. And uh, when the United States declared war on Japan the day after and on the 11th of December of that year, Germany declared war on the United States. And so we saw a lot of turmoil in the S&P 500 as it went down 11% in one day and continue to decline. But despite all that turmoil, the S&P was up 15.3% higher one year later. And I want to say these things because I want you to see a pattern that actually happens when wars break out. Now, we had the Cuban oil crisis in 1973, and the S&P 500 fell by 17% during that time. But this was followed by a slow, progressive move uh, in the positive ram. Uh, so again, we can see something that's very, very consistent. When we have the onset of war, we have a period of days where there's a major shift downward in the markets. But a year later, the recovery is tremendous. And this is very, very important. I want to um, share my screen and show uh, in particular uh, how this actually uh, works and has worked in years in the past. And um, what I want to talk is at the very bottom, <clears throat> you'll see the Pearl Harbor attack at the very bottom. And on the first day it happened, the markets, the S&P 500 was down 3.8%. The total drawdown is 19.8%. We took 143 days to hit the bottom, but 307 days we were in total recovery. Um, if we were to uh, go down to the Boston Marathon bombing, which was the fifth one down. Uh, this happened in 2013. The day it happened, the S&P 500 went down 2.3%. Total drawdown was 3%. We hit bottom in four days, fully recovered in 15 days. Um, we had U.S. terrorist attacks. This is the seventh one down in 2001. This 9-11, we went down 4.9% on the day it happened. 11.6% total drawdown. It took 11 days to go to the bottom, 31 days to recover. Iraq invaded Kuwait in 1990. Day one, we were down 1.1%, total drawdown of 16.9%, 71 days to the bottom, 189 days for full recovery. So one of the things that I'm saying by looking at this is that markets tend to respond tremendously negative when we first have the onset of war. They, they, they go down tremendously, and but within a year, there is full recovery. Now, talking specifically about this Russia-Ukraine war, there's something that's happening that's worth paying attention to. And the first thing is you can look at the ETF fund flow, and it'll tell you a whole lot about what's going on with this war. So if you're looking at geographical ETFs like the Russia ETF or the Sweden ETF, you're noticing they're down like 4% since the onset of this war. So geographically, we're seeing money move out of ETFs. 
those ETFs that are geographically connected to the region where the war is. Second thing, though, that we're seeing that's very, very critical is we're seeing about $30 billion a day moving out of the bond market. And this is not good uh, long term because what happens is right now the U.S. dollar is doing better. It's getting better every single day against other currencies. Problem is, as the bond market continues to have the kind of drawdown that it's having, mostly in ETFs, related to bond ETFs, eventually they have to move from the drawdown on ETF and actually have to start uh, unloading actual bonds. Now, right now, um, people have an interest uh, in unloading them, uh, but again, we're going to see interest rates drop. And when these interest rates, I'm sorry, interest rates are going to go up. When these interest rates go up, it's going to be even more expensive uh, to deal with these bonds. And so we're going to find an even more difficult scenario in the bond market across the board. That is going to have a negative impact at that point on the U.S. dollar as, again, the bond market and the U.S. dollar work in conjunction with each other. So there are things that are happening that we can look at right now that's having a major uh, impact. We're seeing oil prices, uh, the price of oil per barrel is over a hundred. It was over $130 at one point. It's closer at the time of this recording to 110 bucks, but that's way out of bounds when not long ago we were looking at $81 a barrel. So the cost per barrel is up. Therefore, we're paying a whole lot more at the pump and we're going to continue to pay a whole lot more at the pump until the cost per barrel comes down. This is all invest, uh, affecting stocks. So what we're seeing go up in the short term is gold mining is increasing. Silver is increasing. People are hedging. We've seen back and forth of crypto. Um, and you'll talk more about the crypto. But we're seeing so many things move in these markets. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about things in the <clears throat> U.S. economy. But they're global as far as markets go as well. When you hear the Fed going to raise interest rates, you see this war happening. The war is actually saying to the Fed, be careful about how fast you raise the interest rates because it could have a double negative effect on the economy. But the, tr the uh, inflation is so high in our nation, they need to raise the uh, interest rates in order to bring inflation under control and to slow this hot economy down. But how they do it uh, and not throw the... the um, economy into what's called stagflation and what stagflation is it's when you have inflation and a recession at the same time so we're we got to be very, very careful as far as the federal reserve when they raise interest rates to make certain to not actually induce the economy into stagflation so now we got a recession happening as we keep seeing all these prices go up and up and up and up and you start seeing companies letting people go because the um Dollars are no longer there for people to buy the products that they want to purchase. Companies have to start letting people go and the economy now goes into a recession and we're not any longer experiencing the kind of growth we have been experiencing month over month coming through COVID. So it's a tremendous thing happening. But here's what I would say to any person as I'll come off the hill on this stock. There's three things I'm looking at. And I would say to anyone to be looking at 
in the first six months of this year, you invest in companies that come with three criteria. Number one, they've got to have a strong balance sheet. So when I say strong balance sheet, that means, of course, a balance sheet is assets minus liabilities equals owner's equity. So we're looking to see companies who, when we look at their balance sheet, we're looking at the assets and things of that nature. We're looking at the decisions that the company is making. We're looking at the debt. We're seeing a strong balance sheet. That balance sheet being strong gives us the okay to go to step number two. Step number two is that in the prior two quarters, we're looking at the last two quarters of 2021. We want to see companies who had tremendous earnings reports. So if their earnings reports didn't meet the mark, and didn't exceed the mark, uh, you don't want to be looking at those companies right now. You want to find companies who, when they gave their earnings report, they exceeded expectation in their earnings report. And the third thing that's critically Wait, important. Dwayne, Dwayne, yes, sir. Before you continue, um, I just kind of wanted to rephrase that last point you kind of said to kind of help people understand it. Yes. Um, just like you said, if they had strong earnings in Q3 and Q4, and possibly Q1 of this year, right? That's the bounce back from COVID. If they didn't have strong earnings then, when the economy was kind of up and running strong, what makes you think they're going to have strong earnings in the middle of a war, right? And Absolutely. Where, where people might not have money to buy product and things like that. So I just kind of wanted to rephrase that out there to kind of help some people think of when they're investing in their companies. But sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. You good. Oh, that's, good. that's real good. We, you definitely have to have it that way. And the third thing that you want to see in place is good cash flows. Now, the reason this is the case, and this is the reason why since September of 2021, you've seen a lot of people pulling profits out of tech and growth companies because their cash flows are not good. Meaning these companies, in order to keep growing, they have to borrow a lot of money. Now they pay it back, but in order to keep this great, big, huge machine running, they got to borrow a lot of money. Well, if they don't have strong cash flows right now and the Fed raises interest rates, it's going to cost them more to borrow in the short term. That's going to affect profitability. Stock investors do not want to see profitability drop. So you need a strong balance sheet, great earnings reports, good cash flow. That's where I'd be putting my money. Now, I'll give you one company in particular that everyone heard of Apple. Apple meets all three of these requirements, strong balance sheet, strong earning reports, and their cash flows for a tech company uh, having in the bank over 50 billion is a very good thing for a company for cash and cash equivalents. That's a tech company. But there are some companies that they're like 1 billion, 4 billion, and they're going to need to borrow money. And when the Fed raises interest rates, that's going to affect the cost of goods sold, which is going to affect profitability. And this is why you see the professional investors, the hedge funds, the institutions, they're pulling money out of these companies in a big way, taking the profits they could get, and they're letting their money sit on the sidelines, waiting for these interest rates and things to cook in, to happen. And then there's going to be so much money available to come into the market, sweep in and get these companies at value. Because right now, many of these companies are 10 to 15% below where they should be.
So a lot of money is sitting on the sidelines. So a smart person right now is literally positioning yourself, waiting for the Fed to do its first interest rate increase. See how the market tends to respond to that a little bit. It's going to drop a tad bit. And once you see that clear, that's the time to be able to go in and seriously buy some things at value who fit the criteria that I'm saying. Now, me personally, I continue to dollar cost average in the companies that I believe in that are strong companies like Microsoft, companies like Apple, my ETFs. I've got four ETFs, VOO, VTI, VGT, and SMH. Those four ETFs are solid foundation. And then I put great companies in them that I believe in dollar cost averaging in. That's a little bit every week but when this real break happens that's time to kind of load the boat but this is how the war has impacted the markets historically and how it's impacting the markets on today well uh, my partners may have something they want to say on this when we come back from the break we'll give an opportunity for that is uh we're gonna be talking about crypto and we're going to be talking about the overview of looking at this entire war as a whole. But we'll be right back after this break. Now, coming back in. That was so good, Dwayne. So, oh, man. Yeah. Really. yeah, Dwayne. Dwayne that was uh, so good. That was so good. He definitely, he definitely was more prepared than all of us. Eh? <laughs> he took us to history class. <laughs> nah, that was good. I was taking notes, bro. So, like, man, that was good. That was good. So, yeah. so, Aiden, we're going to come back in. It's to you. Mm -hmm. Or do you want me to bring you in because you're coming in or you just want to start? I'll start. Um, okay. I do. I do have like maybe like two more comments. Yeah, about good. This, about your about your stuff. Good. So um, we come back in. And if Malcolm got anything he wants, to, you got it, Aiden, once we come back in. Yeah, yeah cool. So go ahead. It's you whenever you're ready. All right, cool. All right, Dwayne, thank you for telling us about the stock market, taking us to history class real quick. Um, something I kind of wanted to bring up, looking at that chart that you shared with us. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like it looks like it takes us a shorter amount of time to recover than it did back in the 50s and the 60s and 70s. That's kind of what I got from that chart. Correct. Also with COVID, we recovered the stock market recovered from COVID in just like two months or something like that. Is that the case? Like why and why are we recovering faster than before? Yeah, it goes it goes back to what I said at the beginning. It's because back then the way in which the purchases was made and the way in which things happen digitally now, we can get things done faster, things move faster, and because people don't want to be left behind, it's FOMO, fear of missing out, people tend to move a lot faster, so therefore recovery happens quicker it's all about the money being able to move and we can move the money faster now therefore things don't last as long as they once did that that makes a lot of sense that makes i didn't think about it that way but yeah that makes a lot of sense like we do everything digitally back then you had to call the stockbroker and put orders in now you could just do it at a click of a button there's even some platforms that let you trade after hours that's and right stuff, and i'm sure that all takes into account so yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so, I guess I guess is uh is it worth trying to time the market since we recover so fast? Should we just purchase as soon as we see a dip? 
What are what are what are your opinions on that? Yeah, I think never worth timing the market. I think what you should be doing right now is if you had companies that you believed in and you really believe in them, right now they're all, all of them are at a value price. So you dollar cost average in. You so you may be putting in thirty dollars a week. Uh, if, if that's your budget, you put in $30 a week. But I'm saying that after the interest rates go up, it is very well known that after the first interest rate increase, six months from there, we usually see a 6.4% increase in the markets. So after the first increase happens, that day the, that that increase happens, we're probably going to see a drop in the markets. So that means that these companies are going to be at even greater value and but the market will now have made its adjustment to this interest rate increase. That will be the time to go a little bit bigger in purchasing the companies that you believe in. And in, when I, in my case, what I'm suggesting is companies who meet those criteria of a good balance sheet, uh, great cash flows and good earnings reports. And at the time that they do that, it'll be earnings reports for the last two quarters of 2021 and the first quarter of 2022. Yeah, maybe one day we could do an episode on how to properly read a balance sheet. I feel like that's a lost art. You know, everyone wants to go through reading charts like right away and, you know, things like that. Um, we definitely could uh, break down a balance sheet one day and kind of go through it. I think that would be a great, great absolute for, uh, Absolutely. For yeah. And uh, Malcolm, did you have anything you wanted to um, ask Dwayne or throw your two cents on the market? Yeah, no, I was just soaking everything up. Honestly, uh, Dwayne has so much more experience than me in it. Um, but yeah, no, that the the best point I like that you mentioned how it's easy to recover because you can trade from your phone now. Like people can mm -hmm. do it with the, with the click of a button. So that just made a lot of sense to me when you mentioned that because I had that same question too that you asked, Aiden. Why is it so much quicker now for a recovery period? But it makes so much sense because obviously everybody can buy quicker now so that's right yeah that's all i had on that but that was just great points all around the board yeah yeah thank thank you for that Dwayne. uh something for the audience that we were speaking about off off air was this is the first war that malcolm and i have probably experienced like investing as adults right so kind of hearing Dwayne's insight and seeing graphs from previous wars right on how the mark uh how those wars affected the market super informative for us because they don't show us that in school right i i never saw that in school when discussing these wars and things like that so really really good point um some purchases i made last week were apple just like Dwayne said right come on like i feel like apple belongs to every portfolio at this point i bought vgt another etf that Dwayne mentioned it's an uh, etf um that tracks overall tech really really good uh etf to buy there and something i did unique for the first time this week i bought vxus which is an international etf international markets are are getting beat up even more than the u.s market so i just saw it was a good opportunity to put some money in uh vxus which is a broad international etf so i threw in a couple bucks in there uh i'm gonna keep a small portion in there just because international stocks are getting beat up even worse than United States stocks. And um, I'm sure you could, I'm sure everybody could understand why, you know, with all the stuff going on over there. But the next thing uh, I wanted to cover, unique to this war, first time we're seeing this, there's another market, the crypto market. How does the war affect the crypto market? And 
I think for the first time we're seeing, well, maybe not the first time because we've seen it a little bit over the past few months, but now there's a big difference with the way like Bitcoin and crypto is moving. It seems to be moving on its own now instead of being tied to the uh, stock market. Before, during COVID and last year, anytime the stock market was down, Bitcoin was down and so was the rest of the cryptocurrencies out there. Anytime the stock market was up, Bitcoin was up and so was the other cryptocurrencies. Now, it definitely huge, uh, big differences in percentages, they were up, but they were pretty much moving in the same wavelength. For the first time, we're seeing pretty much Bitcoin and cryptocurrency move on its own. You know, the stock markets are down, right? But cryptocurrency, year to date, it's still down. But in January, it was at 35,000 per uh, Bitcoin. Now we're at about 40,000. It's It's been going up. And I think um, part of that reason is because more countries, more people out there are getting more versed in cryptocurrencies. And we're seeing that the Ukraine government and the Russia government are accepting donations and cryptocurrency, right? Ukraine is uh, accepting Ethereum, Bitcoin as donations. The people of Ukraine, they don't have access to their banks. So they're they're trying to get informed and try and find other ways to house their money and to hedge inflation in their areas as well. So I think that's why we're seeing Bitcoin move on its own. But um, I just wanted to ask you both, like, what are your thoughts on that? And is that a good idea? Uh, is that a good idea to kind of invest in cryptocurrencies uh, during this time as a hedge on inflation? What are your thoughts on that? I'll go real quick before Dwayne. Um, I think it's a, a, a great idea because it's, it's moving so independently from everything. Um, and that's the point of crypto to not be, you know, what the regular dollar, what the regular banks, what the Federal Reserve does and what the government does. So I think it's a, a great opportunity to be invested in crypto and even just learning about it like this is the time it was probably was more last year but if you still don't know this is the time to start doing research this is the time to start looking into it because decentralized currency and all that stuff is going to be the new wave of the future yeah i agree i agree with um malcolm and listening to what you were saying aiden i totally agree it's something that we have to consider this is something that i remind myself of every single day no matter what happens today the future will happen and i think when you start thinking about money you got to get that in your mind no matter what happens today the future will happen crypto in so many ways is a part of today, but some of it is a greater part of the future. We talked about the metaverse here. There are certain things that Sandbox is doing, Ethereum is doing, Solana is doing, and other many other uh, cryptos are doing that they're doing in a solid way that it's not as big yet as it's going to be as more people are getting into it. So I'm not going to allow a war in 2022 to make me think that there will be no 2025, that there'll be no 2026. 2022 will not prevent 2025 in your life. And so you've got to act like there will be a future. So even when you're seeing crypto crash back and forth and back and forth, very volatile, I don't suggest you put all of your major money in crypto. You put your major money 
in your foundation plays, but you find yourself a crypto or two or three that you really believe in and you put some money in that crypto and allow yourself to come up as they find greater uses for that crypto. A, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. And if you're a beginner to crypto, like I highly advise you just stick with the major players, right? It's pretty much what I do. I just kind of keep it Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Ethereum, right? And just dollar cost average, you know, even if it's 10 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever you could afford, just allocate a small uh, portion of your ca uh, cash into crypto. Um, and I really like what Dwayne said. That quote is going to stick with me forever now. Like whatever happens today, the future is going to happen regardless, right? I think with COVID and with the war going on in Russia, all it, all it is doing is exp expediting the growth of crypto. It's going to happen regardless. Crypto is going to happen regardless. The metaverse is going to happen regardless. Web3 is going to happen regardless. I think just these events that are happening in the world, all it is is kind of expediting that growth and kind of speeding it up. If it wasn't for the uh, for this Russia and Ukraine war, those citizens probably wouldn't have looked into crypto just yet. Right now that you got more users using these platforms and uh, get more interested in it. Now, we're still at a point where you can't really physically buy things with crypto. So for those people in Ukraine and Russia, it's not helping them in that sense, but it's helping them kind of protect their buying power, which is which is pretty much like the point of investing, right? You want to protect their buying power. You don't want inflation to eat up your dollars. If if it, if it, if that wasn't the case, I'll just keep all my money in the savings bank, right? But I want to protect my buying power. I want to protect myself against these events. Um, more recently, uh, Joe Biden passed a, a crypto executive order um, last Wednesday. Again, we're kind of recording this in the middle of March uh, before this uh, goes live, but... Um, there's a couple key points that that he that he signed on. And I know a lot of people in the crypto community were outraged, right? They were like, you know, they don't want no government, um, pretty much no government hands in cryptocurrency. Like the point is to be decentralized, to be away from the government. But I do think there's some good from this. Now, I I think with his executive order, I don't know the exact details of it. Maybe Dwayne or Malcolm, you guys do, but this should help bring cryptocurrency to the mainstream and kind of help expedite that growth again this is also helps increase our chances to get a crypto etf in the stock market a bitcoin etf in the stock market so i think there are some benefits with joe biden signing this crypto executive order he's trying to eliminate the shady stuff that's happening with crypto there's a lot of shady stuff going on in the background there's a lot of nft artists um scamming uh regular consumers like me uh me and you there's a lot of um, just a lot of shady movement That's in the right. crypto market. That's right. Mm -hmm. And this executive order will help protect you and kind of help eliminate those pump and dumps and um, people getting rugged out there. But um, Dwayne, Malcolm, have you guys heard about this executive order that was just passed? Yes. The uh, the part of the executive order that that the overarching part of it that stood out the most to me is that in his executive order, he is legitimizing crypto. Now, when the United States legitimizes crypto, that's it. It's going to be legitimized for the entire world. The fact that he has so many branches of the government involved in helping to come up with 
the way in which we're going to treat it also shows to the entire world that the United States believes crypto is a valid form of investment. It's an it's a valid uh, way in which people can invest. And just like you said, wanting to make sure that the bad players are uh, out of it, are uh, watched, are their systems in place is only going to be better for people. But at the same time, he's also saying to those pretty much in the banking industry, let's check to see, uh, do we want to have digital currency that's government backed? So I think things like stable coins, they're going to spend a lot more energy watching those because they believe stable coins have a greater impact on currencies than quote unquote, just cryptocurrencies do. So I think it's a good thing what he did. He kind of made it valid and then said, y'all go and do some research and come back with suggestions of what you think. So I think it's uh, absolutely, it was a positive thing uh, that was done. 100% Malcolm, you have any thoughts on it? What do you think about it? Are you for it, against it? Yeah, I think it's going to be just be, really just uh, strictly because of the rugging stuff that I've been seeing with the NFTs. Um, and a lot of people in the NFT community, some of the people we interviewed, and it's just nothing anybody can do about it. Once somebody says, okay, never mind, everybody just lost that investment that they had. So if it's something that's going to help with that, then I, I, I think it's, it'd be good for just the people and the people that have got scammed and stuff like that. I think they'll be for it as well because they literally just lose their money. There's nothing you can do about it. So yeah, that's my kind of thoughts on that. Yeah. There, there's a lot of people out there who are familiar with cryptocurrency, but they're like, I'm not touching it. Like there's, I'm not touching it just because that's always a possibility. And right. we, we mentioned this on the metaverse episode, but we kind of all agree that somewhere, sometime down the line, a good portion of these cryptocurrencies are not going to be around, right? And we just kind of have to accept that. You have to be careful with what you invest in, just like with the stock market. Dwayne brought up some great points on which stocks to invest in, right? If they hit those three key points, you kind of almost want to, it's, it's not the same, of course, with cryptocurrency, but you kind of want to maneuver the same way, right? Do they fit a certain criteria, right? Is this just a pump and dump? Is this just, you know, a friend telling me, oh, we're going to go to the moon with this, right? Do a little bit of research on these things. Um, find, find out, like, if it's being used, like, what's the market cap? Just don't look at the, the price. Um, people get, you know, thrown off by the price all the time. Oh, I can't afford Bitcoin. It's 40000 You could put $10 in it. It's, even if it was $10, like, it's the same thing. Just put, just put something into it. But um, Joe Biden also, one last point I want to talk about before uh, we close out for the day. And Dwayne uh, briefly mentioned this. Joe Biden is playing around with the idea of an official United States uh, stable coin, right? I know we have our USDC out there, which is a stable coin that mimics the, um, the dollar, right? But Joe Biden, he mentioned that he wants to play around with that and possibly make an official United States stable digital asset which I think is going to be huge. And I know it's kind of, it's just an idea right now, but it's one of those things where I'm almost guaranteed it's going to happen eventually. Maybe not next year, maybe not the year after, but I think it's one of those things that's going to happen eventually. Yeah, I think so too. I think that uh, when we consider, uh, I'm I, this is my opinion when it comes to crypto. I think people who are, 
jumping into crypto thinking that, man, they're, they're not going to be able to regulate. We're going to do. There is no way the banking industry, which is probably the most influential industry in the global economy, is going to allow anything right now to come in and knock it off. And I think a lot of people have been thinking that crypto is going to be able to knock off our regular banking industry. It's just not going to happen. There's too many players and you don't even know who's behind the banking industry. So what happens is they begin to play chess and move things around the table. So they start talking about the Fed starts discussing about creating its own government stable coin. Other countries start talking about that so that we can deal with that stable coin stuff that exists now that may not be very stable for economies around the globe. So I just think the average person doesn't have enough knowledge about what's going on. And so you hear someone talking about a particular cryptocurrency and you go out, but those are on the blockchain. Stable coins are a little bit different. So I think you have to understand how it all works. Overall, uh, of course, we're talking about the war. You're seeing a lot of volatility, but again, it's not as attached to equities as it has been in, in the last several months. And again, today's not going to stop the future from happening. So the things that I believe in relative to the future, I gonna keep on investing in them. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, another great episode talking about the overall market and how wars might affect it. Uh, before we close out today, I want to give my partners an opportunity to kind of give us, give some closing thoughts. We'll, we'll go with to Malcolm first. Go ahead, Malcolm. Yeah, for sure. So I was mainly talking about the consumer economy, the price of goods and services, um, increasing. So I would just say, just start getting prepared now. Um, uh, not saying completely stockpile, but just stock up a little bit because, you know, if everything went up during COVID and the war just started, like we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's almost inevitable, inevitable that everything is going to start increasing in prices as we're already seeing gas and things like that start increasing. So I would just say just um, start paying attention to what's going on and start just preparing for um, what's to come in the next uh, probably six to nine months as the year uh, closes on out. Yes. And um I would say, as well as I was talking about the stock market and how things historically work, I want you to understand no matter what is happening right now, a year from now, we're going to be in a much different place. The Fed is going to raise interest rates. They may raise them again next year, but that is going to bake in this market. And the big professional institutions and hedge funds are going to bring, bring that money back into the market. And when they do, there's going to be a major bump up in the market. You want to be on the right side of the bump up. So paying attention to when the Fed announces an interest rate increase, watching the market that day and that next day and being prepared in advance to load up on companies that are of tremendous value is a wise move to make. Second thing I would say to you is you should be dollar cost averaging in the things you believe in right now. There's a company Square that I firmly believe in for the future. They've had major difficult times as we were coming toward the end of 2021 and into 2022, but they've been seeing a bump up. I so believe in them. I was selling it while they were dropping. I believe in them for the future. Their CEO has gotten out of Twitter, focused fully on Square or it's called the block. And I believe where they're gonna go is um, absolutely 
uh, creative, a lot of ingenuity in what they're doing. And so I hold a company like that with dollar cost averaging in. I haven't loaded up the boat on them, though I believe they're tremendous value. But when we see the interest rate increase happen, there are certain companies, if you believe in them, that you go all in. Last thing I'll say, and I didn't say this earlier, but I'll say it now, is that one of the safe bets in this time in 2022 is in regional finance, regional banks. If you can invest in regional banks, you are going to do very, very well because they can withstand everything that's going on right now in this economy. And over the long haul, they're going to do tremendously well, along with people looking at the energy sector, which is getting a little bit of a hit, utilities and things of that nature. So I just think that um, we're going to see crazy volatility. But a year from now, it's going to be a whole lot better place. So make sure you don't miss it. 100%, 100%. And I'll close out here. A uh, great episode. We kind of touched upon, you know, three different sectors on uh, this particular topic. And just my advice for anyone out there, similar to what Dwayne said, just uh, and Malcolm both touched upon this. Just be prepared, right? Be prepared, right? Um, make sure you have your emergency fund, of course. That should be a given at this point. It's something I must preach about every episode. But, um, you know, we spoke about being prepared for the markets. But if you don't even have your emergency fund set up, start there. Start there, right? Make sure you have at least three months of expenses before diving into some of these spaces. Um, please, please, for anyone out there, do not try and double your rent like in a, in a month or two because it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be really hard to, to make that happen, right? Option players, people who like really uh, focus on options, they're struggling right now, right? It's it, because no one knows anymore, right? You could just sign in on Monday to the stock market and things are up. And then the next day things are down and just a lot of volatility in the market. So just be be careful out there, be prepared, make sure you have some cash on, on hand for your emergencies and to load the boats up when that time comes. And for the meantime, dollar cost average, whether that's $5, $10, right? Just do it, right? Just do it every time you get paid. Those small amounts add up. And you might be thinking like, oh, you know, this stock price is $100. What is $10 going to do, right? Most of these platforms now offer fractional shares. Just start loading them up little by little. If you have an iPhone and don't have Apple stock, you're moving backwards. You're moving backwards. So that's how I'm going to close out today. Great episode. And catch us next week on the Wealthy Life Podcast. Thank you.